Folks, today we're bringing back an old episode with Carrie Bates. He was a mentor of mine years ago. In our conversation, we discussed how to find and equip faithful men who can train and disciple others. We hope you enjoy this throwback episode of the Noble Man Podcast. I'm pretty excited to have this guy on a Zoom call with me today from Florida. Carrie Bates uh, is a pastor that Stacy and I encountered when we first moved to Richmond. Carrie invested in me, and so I have just been forever grateful for that. And what an awesome opportunity to talk to him about investing in faithful men. So, Carrie, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Proud for you and proud of you, brother. Uh, it's uh, it's just so much fun to think back. Now, tell me, how do you go through that process and, and that winnowing process as a pastor or a leader to figure out who should I invest in? Well, in, in my humble estimation, I, I was blessed to have an opportunity to cast the net yeah. uh, out there, hopefully find that one or two or three. In um, my pastoral years of experience, I, I did enjoy the material that Avery Willis developed called Master Life. And Master Life uh, became the standard for me in different churches and different venues, uh, offering that as a, a way to help people master their lives, right. get them into the setting where they can be uh, attracted and uh, equipped. But it's the idea of watching from a pastor's perspective, watching for that man or in some cases that couple that group that are hungry and then pulling them to the side and starting to move with the movers it's you've got to have something to rally the forces around so i don't know that curriculum is all that important uh before i had any curriculum at all in portugal uh we just used the bible yeah. and just had bible studies uh did the serendipity bible uh, guided studies uh, but it's important, I think, to have prayer, to have some kind of biblical foundation, mm -hmm. and then that fellowship of men sharing with men, a yeah. uh, three-legged stool, uh, is adequate. Carrie, it's probably going to shock you, uh, the imprint that you left on my life, but I remember you saying that there was really nothing magical about the master plan material, that we needed the word, those things that you just said, we need the word, we need prayer, we need fellowship, we've got to have these elements— and as I recall, you said this is just a track for us to run on for right now to get started in uh, spiritual growth and development. And and so, guys, um, I think the other thing that Carrie said there that's important is you need something that you are comfortable with and that has been impactful for you so that you can lead someone else through it. Uh, you need to master the tool that you're going to use so that you're not jumping around from one from one asset to another, because that can become confusing even for you. What What are your comments about that, Kerry? I totally agree. And many times in a one-on-one -on -one relationship, I've chosen the book for me to read with my guy. Yeah. Uh, one from my shelf. Um, not long ago, one of my disciples moved from Orlando to Dallas. And over those following months, we went through the master plan of evangelism. I, I thought of and that when uh, you mentioned the, the evangelist. That's uh, Robert yeah. Coleman's book is hard to beat. Oh, yeah. And so about every couple of weeks, we'd get together for a long phone conversation. Uh, we, we weren't FaceTiming, but we he was either uh, commuting in or commuting out of Dallas. And um, we'd have a great conversation, about the most recent chapter. Uh, I took a group of guys. Uh, I have my one of my yeah. copies of Multiply. 
uh, took a group of guys through Multiply. And that was an eye opener for some good old Sunday school men yeah. that had never caught the idea of making an impact. And that the whole, the whole Bible is all about evangelism, discipleship. Exactly. So sometimes you cater it, uh, you, you slice the cake for the individual. Other times you use the invitation uh, of the crowd to get involved in something specific, but it's out of those that you find, you find the people whose hearts click with your heart. Yeah. Um, I've tried assigning discipleship, assigning a man to a group or a woman to a group, uh, assigning just never did work. Um, there has to be a, a click. My right. personality, his personality, or the, the clash is so strong that it won't last. But uh, and, and two, uh, keeping some of these things that you invite people to, like multiply, right. keeping it to uh, six, eight weeks right. gives them an exit exactly. uh, possibility instead of having to go on and on and on. Uh, Master Life could be done. Uh, each book could be done in six, maybe eight weeks if you have a, a, a slacker, a straggler. Uh, over a period of a, a fall through a spring and maybe another fall, you can get through all of those materials. But you really have to have some people that are committed to it. Right. And you can find those, but they're not many. Uh, and there have to be some examples given. Right. Uh, like, like the two men that I mentioned from my youth ministry days in Memphis. Both of them had my example of what I was doing with young people on a weekly basis. Um, one of my goals was to get uh, every young person that was involved in discipling to try to mentor or disciple another young person. Right. So we developed our own little curriculum of them helping a junior high kid uh, get his quiet time going. So these men saw my example. I was fortunate to be in a church um, with Herb Hodges, who wrote that book, Tally Ho the Fox. Right. Herb exemplified a small group discipleship and evangelism. So these men saw, they didn't just hear it from the pulpit, they saw examples of people giving their lives away and reproduction. Um, I think most of the books that I've read in recent years, they all focus on the pastor being the leader. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't trickle down. It right. doesn't just happen accidentally. Pastor may preach it, he may talk about it, but if he's not exemplifying, modeling, then it just doesn't happen like it should. Yeah, and so that's uh, you are a pastor, and and so talk about that because I'm not. I I I am for the church. I champion the church. I invest in the church, and I want to see churches invest in men. I just want to reinforce what you just said because I can't say it as well because I don't carry that mantle. I've never served as a pastor, but I I think there are lots of pastors out there who try to do all of their discipleship from the pulpit. And while they may preach wonderful messages that are high impact and full of truth, the closeness to the shepherd is missing there. And the the life on life, there's some elements there that are missing. And so I, I just strongly encourage pastors, like you're saying, to be involved in some small group discipleship with some well-chosen men. I think Jesus modeled that for us. Yes, and, and some pastors just don't see the possibilities. Uh, they haven't been stretched in a certain way. Uh, Herb Hodges was a great example. He would never go do hospital visits without a disciple with him. Yeah. And just th think of the time that a pastor wastes in a car, driving to and from hospital visits, crisis visits. 
Herb was so good about going to get a businessman that could shake loose and go with him. Uh, one of the men that worked in the church building in, in maintenance, actually, just a great disciple maker would go with him. Um, and those guys' lives were revolutionized by just having that personal time with the pastor. Uh, not long after those, say, few visits, Herb was comfortable sending the businessman right. to the hospital. Uh, he had trained him just by being there and witnessing what Herb did. So I would say to pastors, look for those free moments where you can hook on to somebody. It doesn't have to be a, a set a curriculum, but just breathing your life into that guy's life or that other guy's life. Uh, but I, I'm afraid in my ministry, I, I was I was not on the pastoral track uh, through the years of training. And I was on a youth ministry track right. and disciple making track. Uh, the last five years of my pastoral work, I was the senior pastor and sometimes the bulletin maker and uh, often the, the song leader. Right. Um, and so a lot of my time was spent in the office, which I regret. But there was always somebody that surfaced in the church family that looked like and then became a disciple. Yeah. And kept on. So you just got that. You've got to keep your eyes open and find that rapport. Right. That I would have with somebody, somebody would have with me, and then it gelled. And it can be sandwiches, it can be coffee, it can be, but again, around that three-legged stool, the scripture or curriculum with scripture in it, prayer and fellowship. Yeah. I've got a couple of memories that I'm going to share here of being with you at various times. And I don't know why I remember this, but I think I visited you when you were at your office at the, at the, the mission organization that you worked with. And there was, I, I don't even remember what the circumstance was, but you had a jar of peanut butter and you were fixing your lunch or something. And you were diligent about getting every bit of the peanut butter out of that. And I think I even, I may be making this up, but I think I remember you saying something about your daughter would just get frustrated with you because, you know, why are you so tedious with this? But you, you commented, as I recall, about being a good steward. And, and using up everything. But then the, the real point was, this is how we should be living for Jesus, using up every resource that we have just completely empty for the king. And then I remember a sermon that you preached where that was further reinforced, where you talked about the, the woman of ill repute who came and, and brought the flask of ointment and washed Jesus' feet with that. And when you talked about breaking the flask, yeah. you, you, you spent a lot of time on breaking the flask and the flask had to be broken so that it could be completely emptied and there would be nothing held back from service to the king. Amen. And uh, my goodness, that it was 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and that still marks my understanding of what it means to be poured out for the king. Amen. Powerful. Praise. Well, and, and both of those illustrations, uh, if you do have pastors listening to your podcast, and I'm sure you do, I, I hope they will hear the importance of the illustration. Yeah. Uh, I sit under different pastors from time to time that have wonderful information and wonderful exegesis and wonderful material about Old Testament, New Testament, but when they fail to share an illustration that that one of those or two of those have hung in your heart for yeah. 20 years, 
uh, and corresponds with one of my colleagues in Memphis uh, from time to time. He will say, hey, do you remember when Herb shared such and such an illustration? Yeah. And it'll come right back to my mind. Right. And so that's that's so important for men to see pictures and to have give illustrations. Us to hang things yes. on. Yeah. There, there are those spiritual truths that will go in one ear and out the other without a hook, without right. an illustration. Yeah. It, it's a window to the soul. Yeah. You know, I have another, uh, it was another learning point that's been valuable to me. Um, I did some door-to-door evangelism with you. That was something yeah. that we, we would do on various days. We'd go out into our neighborhood and just, just walk and knock on doors. That's and right. so that, um, as crazy as it sounds, has helped me have a measure of grace for folks who I think often we have an expectation to behave in a certain way, but if they don't know the Lord, if they don't know um, some of those things, then we can't expect that of them. And, and back in that day when we would go here, hither, thither, and yon, yeah. door to door, uh, without getting shot, yeah. uh, was a, that was a good era, good yeah. time. Nowadays, we have to be more focused. Um, I, I had a neighbor move in. I chatted with him on the street. Uh, Easter was coming. I wanted him to go to church with me, but here in Florida, we all have these electric garage doors. And as soon as you get your car in, you turn your car off and shut your garage door. And I remember seeing him pull into his parking area. And so I said, I'm going to go invite him to church. I want him to go to church with me. And by the time I got across the street, his garage door was down. Yeah. It just, it just made me sad. I wanted to talk to him. And so I turned around and came home. But the Lord laid on my heart. Yeah, you got to talk to him. Right. And so, uh, people don't knock on doors. Neighbors right. don't bug neighbors uh, down here. But I went over there, and we had the most wonderful exchange. He invited me into his home. He had a Christian background. He had not been in, involved in the church. I mean, within weeks, he was uh, more regular than some of our churchgoers. Wow. And uh, I was able to give him sermons that I had preached. Uh, yeah. He traveled a little bit in his work. He just pop in a CD and listen to one of my sermons, and he was just thrilled to death to be somewhat discipled through my preaching. Uh, he was leasing the house and moved away, but we still stay in touch. Well, you have to be intentional. Well, you have to be intentional, and you have to go. Uh, I believe you have to go with uh, with bait. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, we call it friendship evangelism. Right. You have to develop a bridge and build a friendship over that bridge. And sometimes it's cookies, sometimes it's cake, sometimes it's flowers, whatever the occasion might arise. And I've been doing that. Lynn and I did that with our neighbors around here. And it is open the door for us to share in our community. Right as COVID was starting, we had probably 250 people uh, come into our church auditorium for a celebration of Lynn's life. But I was I was so surprised as to how many people in our community got up and spoke about Lynn's life. Right. And not not from our knocking on the doors, but from her exhibiting and showing Christian love and sharing her love of others. It's a different era. And we're going to to be more intentional and precise in our approach and find those that we can uh, get the heart opened and then the bridge of friendship over that we can share the gospel. Boy, there's so much there because you and Lynn were a team. And and as husbands and wives, we need to have our ministry among 
our friends that are, you know, my guy friends, Stacy's female friends, but then we can do so much together as a couple to invest in other couples. Um, um, yes. I, I want to also go back to, you know, the garage door came down, but the spirit of the Lord was speaking to you in a way that you said, I, you could have either denied it or responded to it. And I have, I haven't always been obedient, but I have stood at doors and knocked when I could feel my heart beating in my throat because <laughs> I was nervous about what am I going to say? What am I going to encounter? And that sort of thing. And, and boy, if we remember, you know, I think about uh, Matthew ten nineteen has always been a, a, a helpful passage to me because Jesus is sending out the disciples and he says, but when they arrest you, take no heed as to what you will say because the spirit <laughs> speaking through you. So sometimes I knock on a door or engage a conversation. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I think in our obedience, Christ gives us something that is what he wants to be said, and we're not sure where it came from sometimes, and doors are open and, and relationships are kindled in that way. Well, so. as you mentioned, um, the importance of at least getting the door open and allowing him to give you the things to say, but we want to be equipped as possible. Yeah. Uh, you shared with me some years after Master Life um, studies, how uh, you were drawing the disciples' cross on the front of your dirty car yeah. uh, truck hood, and explaining to somebody, uh, if we're equipped, uh, the Lord will use those things, even in a jumble sometimes of right. our minds, uh, to get the point across. Yeah. Um, and but to deny and say no, I'm not going to. Uh, one experience has goaded me to go on and go on and go on. It happened when uh, Lynn and I were relatively young in our marriage. I was a youth worker in Atlanta and went to a small gym at a motel in the Dunwoody area and witnessed to the manager, an older guy that had been a boxing coach and just a hard-headed, hard-hearted uh, gentleman. Anytime on the TV, something would come up uh, having to do with religion. He would just mock it. But I, I shared the gospel with Cairo was his name, Cairo Whitfield. And I shared with him several times, but he just always turned me off. And then we married, moved back to Memphis, started in ministry there. For one reason or another, I was in the Atlanta area. Lynn and I were visiting some family or friends, and I decided to go to that gym. And so it has a nice pool out in the back. And there was a little prompting. I need to go in there and talk to Cairo one more yeah. time. But it was sunny and nice. And uh, I said, no, uh, I'll just sit out here a few more minutes. And so 45 minutes later, I decided I'm going to go and talk to Cairo before we leave. And as I walked in, my friend that I had discipled, who is still a strong disciple up in the Atlanta area, was giving him CPR. And I watched Cairo Whitfield die. Wow. When 45 minutes before, I had been prompted to go in and witness again to Cairo. And that's that's. I hope nobody else ever has an experience like that. Mm. Cairo rejected the gospel. I know three solid times that I urged him to listen to the gospel. He rejected the gospel, but I'll always be haunted. Why didn't I go in 45 minutes before? Wow. So I hope no one else ever has that experience, but it motivates me. And I've got plenty to share. Yeah. I don't have to worry about not knowing what to say. Uh, we're prompted by the Holy Spirit, but we're prepared by our mind. Yeah, yeah. So just get get prepared and let God open the doors and go through the doors he opens and 
build bridges of friendship that lead to discipleship. Absolutely. So let me let me ask you about another thing that could be painful in the life of a disciple maker. I think about the end of Second Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Mm. And one of the things that I, as I talk about pastors and, and leaders, folks who have invested their lives in men that were faithful at some point, mm-hmm. most of us have a Demas story. Tell us about your uh, a Demas story. You don't have to give us names, but how do you deal with that and you know, for some guys, the fear of having that happen keeps them paralyzed so that they don't invest in anyone. Give us some perspective on Demas. My most recent Demas was out of a pastorate here in Orlando. Very sad story. He came back to Christ after having gotten into a life of drug abuse. Yeah. He had been a Christian. And so when I started meeting with him one-on-one, he was on the clean track, was doing very well, had moved up in his... Um, job position. Somehow there was no specific crisis. There was no specific lure, but somehow over the period of uh, three years that I was around him, he was around me, he lost his momentum and just shut the door. Hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I did reach out to him sometime during that period of time, but he was not interested. He was just closed. Yeah. However, a year or so later, he reached out to me yeah. and invited me to help a church where he had begun to attend. And so I, I had all kinds of hope. Things were going to be better. Uh, and sure enough, again, he fell off the map and would not respond to phone calls. So, Mike, I don't know what to tell anybody uh, other than you'd never give up right. on Demas. I mean, Timothy fell away from Paul, but boy, didn't Timothy come back with a roar. We never give up on them. We never know what's going on in their lives. Sometimes they'll share with us. Sometimes they won't. But we don't give up. We just keep reaching out and in love. And, of course, we personally will, in a way, judge them and recognize it's observation. We, right. we see that the fruit is not developing. But we can't be judgmental. We've always got to extend the hand of Christian brotherhood and hope for the best. Now— I talk to a lot of guys at churches who, um, men's ministry leaders in particular, who would say, we really feel like we need to do some sort of mentoring program. We need to get something started where we're connecting the generations. And I find, as I talk with guys, that there are many seasoned men that they want to be part of a relationship like that, where they're investing in younger men, perhaps. But they look back and they say, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I haven't done this the way, you know, my, my life's not a textbook for godly living. And I, I've, I, I don't feel qualified to do this. So what do you say to a guy who's got some gas in his tank? He's got some wisdom. Um, he's got some experience. He's walking with Christ personally, but is in some way inhibited from jumping in and becoming a disciple maker. Get that man into a curriculum, a curriculum he can handle, and then give him the confidence. Uh, what's happened to him? He's lost his confidence. Yeah. He, he's lost the momentum. Well, give him something that he can work with. So yeah. once you get a guy back on the track, give him something to go with. But you've got to give him that new mo- motivation and give him something to w- work with. He's got to have a tool. 
Well, listen, I'm watching the time, so I, I thank you for taking time to invest in me and to plant seeds that I, I don't think my, my life has always been good soil, but you dropped some seed into my life at a time when the soil was right, and uh, I am thankful for the fruit that has come from that, and uh, it's just been a blessing to me. So, Kerry, thanks for Praise your you. time and your witness today. Thank you, brother. God bless you. And let me just close by saying one more thing, if you, if you got a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, mentoring has always been high on my list, not just disciple making. Yeah. But even when I was in seminary, I felt like I needed a mentor. Uh, not one of the professors, not one of the guys, but I sought out a man in one of the Baptist agencies in the Memphis area, had written some books, and I had met him. And I, I, I went to be with him as often as I could, just to be at, the, at his feet. It was maybe every other week or so, but just to have a mentor, yeah. a, a sounding board. We need somebody uh, on our level, yeah. as well as looking for the disciple that we can invest in. We need somebody that we can be real with and we can open up to and we can ask questions of. We can uh, confess to. Yeah. We need a confessor. We need a friend. And so we need need somebody. We need a Paul as well as needing a Timothy. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this throwback episode with Carrie Bates. Join us next week when we pick up with new interviews and continue our conversation on mentoring. God bless you. 